now if somebody says something in class, somebody else can go online, look it up, and note up the case. You know, you as a professor, you better be right, because <laughs> if you say the court said something in a certain case, people can pull it up, do a search, and have the answer and tell you you're wrong. Or that's been overturned. Yeah. You know, back then, we just had what's in our head and what's in the case book in front of us, uh, and that's it. Welcome to What's Law Got to Do With It, a lighthearted look at life in law school. I'm Professor Richard Haig. And I'm student Adam Lachance. Today we're going to look at a comparison of law school now versus law school then. Then being the 1980s, or maybe as we'll find out from our guest, even the 1970s. And with that, joining us is our guest, David Lepofsky. David, uh, tell us a little about yourself first. Uh, I'm a lawyer. Don't hold that against me. Um, I'm a visiting professor at the Osgoode Hall Law School. Uh, I finished, I studied law here from 1976 to 1979. I was called to the bar in 1981. I then did a master's of law in constitutional administrative law at Harvard, uh, 81, 82. And then I practiced law with the government of Ontario as a civil litigator, then a constitutional litigator, and finally for the last 23 years, a uh, criminal appeals uh, Crown Counsel. I retired at the end of uh, 2015, and now I'm working part-time at Osgood as a visiting prof. Ah, that's very good. So the fact that you're retired suggests that we are talking about what, was it the 1970s, I'm correct? on Yeah, that, I, that I, was, I was here from 76 to 79. Okay. And I went to law school a little bit later than that, not a whole lot, but enough that we're, I consider us pretty much the same generation. So that was why today's topic, I thought, let's, let's do a comparison between what it was, what we thought it was like going to law school back then and what Adam can add to, and also David and I, about what it seems like law school is today. So maybe I can start off asking you, David, what, what do you think are some big differences between law school in the 1970s, late 70s, early 80s, and, and what you think law school might well, be Well, now. I'm going to give you a unique perspective. I happen to be totally blind, and I, I was totally blind back when I started here. Um, and the technology for studying uh, or for uh, any other activities as a blind person has changed in my lifetime, kind of like uh, it changed for transportation uh, from those who used to use a horse and buggy to those who can now uh, fly on uh, uh, on major uh, supersonic airplanes. <laughs> uh, when I was at law school, I used to have to get uh, volunteers to record my, my case books on, on audio cassette or reel-to-reel tape. Our listeners may not know what those are. Um, and then I would uh, listen to those tapes and dictate notes on another tape recorder, which is what I used to study. Um, if something was handed out in class on short notice, I had to get my classmates to uh, read those to me. I had to deal with them. If you read it to me, I'll teach it to you, uh, which seemed to be a fair deal. Um, and when I wrote exams, uh, I did them on a machine called a typewriter. Uh, that created an interesting problem because as a blind person, I couldn't read back what I wrote. I had a volunteer uh, to assist me if needed. Uh, but on my very first law exam 
in my very first term at law school, criminal law. I was typing for about 20 minutes when we found out that the typewriter ribbon broke. So I was typing blank pages. I I caught up and I actually got an A on that exam. Perhaps it's better when I write things that no one can read. But aside from the... the, um, So technology, obviously, a huge change. Now you get casebooks electronically. My computer will read aloud through a computer voice. If somebody hands something out to me that's new, well, for one thing, they could email it to me. If it's a Word document, my computer will read it aloud. Heck, my iPhone will read it aloud. Um, Mm -hmm. But I can also have technology with me in my briefcase where I could stick a document under it, take a picture, and it'll perform optical character recognition and be reading it to me in seconds. So uh, my access to printed information now is uh, extraordinary. And the fact that you can load that on a a laptop or on a cell phone. When When I came up here, I've got a laptop with all the work I've done teaching here, every article I've written, every factum I've written for the Court of Appeal or other case, all the basically all the practice I did, uh, all the work product from my my third of a century practicing law, and it's all on a computer with lots of room to spare. So for a blind person, um, practice uh, is different and studying is way different than it ever was. For anybody who's a student, there's huge differences. Um, Here's one that I think um, uh, a younger generation will find kind of weird. Uh, We, of course, didn't have computers. We didn't have the internet. We didn't have Wi-Fi. When you were in a classroom, the only person you could talk to was either the people sitting next to you or behind you or the professor teaching the class. Uh, Students now would think that's like being incarcerated. There was no going online, and there's there's no going online. Incarcerated in solitary. Actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah well, there was, I, there's no going online. There's no emailing someone in the class or emailing, no texting, a, or no, none of that no. stuff. Yeah, you, I instant you, message during class the whole time. No. Yeah, yeah, no, they, it, there's nothing like that uh, at all. Um, Passing notes. That's how we used to accomplish. Yeah, which that, doesn't right? do much for a blind person. Since, <laughs> yeah, well, nobody else reads braille, and <laughs> everybody else you writes. You can't pass a braille note anyway. Well, can you? Oh, I can. You oh, just won't read it. Yeah, well, <laughs> and if you sent past me a note, it's a little too flat for me to read. But um, no, so, so that's that's a difference. The other thing, another difference is, um, you know, now if somebody says something in class, somebody else can go online, look it up and note up the case. You know, you as a professor, you better be right. Because <laughs> if you say the court said something in a certain case, people can Pull it up, do a search, and have the answer and tell you you're wrong. Yeah, we, that, or that's been overturned. Yeah, yeah. before class is over. Right, right. <laughs> so uh, we didn't, you know, back then we just had what's in our head and what's in the case book in front of us, uh, and that's it. Um, we also, of course, didn't have PowerPoint, so maybe the professor wrote on the blackboard. Um, I couldn't care less if they did. <laughs> right. But um, but beyond that, you had your notes. I think it's great that at Osgood they routinely record all the classes. So if you miss something, you know, you can get the recording and listen back. You know, we, we could do that if you brought your own tape recorder. But back in the 70s, they were big, bulky. Yeah, they, you, as you said, reel-to-reels. You're not going to be bringing a reel-to-reel right. in or, or even or, a cassette. Or, or the... Um, or, or if you had a cassette recorder, they were big. They didn't just fit in your pocket. Those those came in the eighties. Yeah. So it was uh, it was very very different. Uh, the other thing is in law school in the seventies, we didn't study the Charter of Rights. There was no Charter of Rights, and we had no idea when it was coming. Yeah. So for me, slightly different. I had a Charter of Rights, but it was only three years old, uh, and so nobody knew. None of the professors knew the Charter of Rights. There was no jurisprudence on the Charter of Rights, not from the Supreme Court of Canada anyway. So it was it was taught, but in a way that basically everybody, the only way they could teach it was to say, 
we have no idea what this thing's going to do. <laughs> we, it could be a good thing, or it could be like the Bill of Rights. It could be bad. We're, well, not only that, your professors back then became professors before there was a Charter of Rights. So they were teaching something that was as new to them as it was to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, oh, now, yeah. 40 years later, we have professors who went to law school, studied about it, you know, did graduate degrees studying it and, and published in the area and, and all that sort of thing. And there was a lot of law to read. Yeah. Uh, there also, I think there's a much wider spectrum of courses. The buffet of what's available at law school to study is oh yeah, I was gonna much more diverse. I was that was gonna be one of my. I was gonna ask Adam, what are some of the things that you take because we compare to what uh, David and I probably are. Oh, my small <laughs> menu. Yeah, some give us some of the, the, the my wide list, variety of courses that you take here. The list of courses that I had to choose from when I was doing course selection was I put them in like an Excel file, and I couldn't. If I wanted to take all the courses that I was interested in taking, I would have to be here for like five years. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I'm taking now is like trial advocacy, evidence, um, youth justice in a seminar situation, and uh, the Innocence Project as a seminar. Right. We didn't have an Innocence Project. Back then. <laughs> there was, There's no. no innocent people yet. Yeah. yeah that, no, <laughs> nobody was wrongfully committed and convicted sorry in no no we studied that in basic we studied that in basic criminal law but the yeah. idea of going on working on individual cases like no, that, that no. was completely when, when to i us. when i was here there were a couple of these experiential learning programs these intensive programs but there's many many more now yeah um, the area that uh, i spent a lot of time teaching here is in the area of dis rights of people with disabilities well nobody even had the word disability next to the word rights mm -hmm. uh, at law school in the in the 70s. We now at Osgood have a disability law intensive program. You can spend a, uh, a do concentrated study in a year on that subject. It didn't exist. Um, the concept didn't exist. Uh, and the same for other areas uh, of, of law. And, and another huge thing that's different now, um, yeah, we have a number of the voluntary activities, extracurricular activities like the legal aid clinic and so on, and mooting competitions that we had back back then. Though I think the mooting competitions go to more interesting places now. Uh, but um, now Osgood, I believe, is unique among Canadian law schools by having a requirement that students complete a forty-hour uh, public interest voluntary placement sometime during law school, called the Osgood Public Interest Requirement or OPER. I've got a number of OPER students doing placements with me, and um, we didn't have that back then. And it's a phenomenal opportunity to take what you learn in the classroom and experience it on the front lines with people who normally can't afford lawyers and won't ever get access to them. Uh, yeah. So it's yeah. A, it, it yeah. gives a whole perspective on lawyering that you just never got when I was in law school. That, yeah, that's right. So I'm going to back you up, though, because one of the first things you said, you were talking about how it was the difficulties for you as a blind person getting notes, reading that. I was going to say, and David, you wouldn't know this, but Adam and I have this long running. Uh, well, it, this podcast is I, I worry that students today don't read at all because Adam is my exemplar and he he never reads the assignment that I give him for the podcast to read. So I, so <laughs> I wonder that that that's a bit of a joke. We have a running joke, but I wonder if, uh, you know, I, what I do wonder, and again, I can ask you, Adam. So David talked about having to make all kinds of accommodations to get his readings done. I worry that, and I used to do my readings. I worry that students today don't do their readings. So I wonder if that's 
you can comment on that. Yeah, I I don't know if I represent the, well, the I know, student body must, as you far as what goes go. on in the in the student I, body. I have a hunch that people can do very well without doing any reading. Um, I don't know what that would look like personally, because even though I don't read for this podcast, I um, <laughs> I don't we I pre- I do a lot of reading, um, but I feel like. If I was like, this is what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about when you guys went to school, is it, it was the Socratic method was big, right? Was a fear in your body when you entered class? You're a smooth talker, Popovsky. So <laughs> I'm sure you didn't have a problem with that. <laughs> but <laughs> I, over, I overcame my natural shyness. Oh, really? And if a prof didn't call on me, I'd raise my king <laughs> in a vertical direction. One prof didn't call on me, so I put a glove at the end of my king and I held it up. <laughs> the class cracked up, but the prof still didn't call prof on didn't me. Prof didn't call on no, you. No, didn't. Okay. no, no, no. No, I, and I, again, I'm being a bit facetious. I think there were lots of people in my year who didn't read, or they would read, but only okay. th- towards the end. Like, there's cramming was the common, I think it's Move. been a common denominator in law school for decades. Uh, it's been, yeah, you know what, when I went to law school, I think it was a, a, a sign of braggarthood to mm-hmm. boast that you didn't read. Yes. And I think a lot of them were reading. Yeah, they lied. They lied about yeah, yeah, yeah. yourself how reading. much work you yes, did. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So that hasn't changed. Those are those are but, human you know, traits. That but come to me, if you're forever. spending all this money and you want to be a lawyer, like what's the point in not reading? It does doesn't make any sense. Yeah. What mm-hmm. is different? Well, there are two things that are different. Back then, um, you read either with your eyes or, in my case, with your ears. Uh, but because stuff wasn't online, you couldn't search, so you couldn't skip that. You had to. You could skim, but you had to really read. Um, with electronic documents now, there's much more of a capacity to just search for search terms. Similarly, yeah. when I went to law school, there was no online legal databases because there was no online anything. Yeah. Um, if you were going to do legal research, we had to learn how to do it in the library oh, using these <laughs> Canadian using, abridgment using these things called books. <laughs> um, and that. your research technique. Uh, it's clunky compared to using the computer, but it actually forced you to read a lot more. And by the time you did enough research, you'd read enough case law that you really did get a handle on it. Now, because you still have that library, you can still do those things, but you have the capacity to go online to Quick Law or Westlaw, construct a search, and then yeah. and find cases. Um, and that adds value to research. There's no question that that adds value. But I think we lose when that's all we do. Mm. Yeah. Because a certain amount of your understanding of the law, if I'm doing research for a case or a paper or an article, um, a certain amount of the knowledge I get is from incidentally stumbling over things I didn't, that my uh, flipping through cases gets you to, but they may not be responsive to your search term. Um, and then they may lead you down other trails. It's 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 really a bit of detective work. Mm-hmm. Um, and just uh, going online, doing a quick search, pulling up five cases and thinking you got everything um, may get you through a number of things, but it doesn't get you good enough understanding of the law. And that can lead you to miss issues and that can lead you to, to mess up a case yeah. that you're going to argue. Yeah. And that that's, well, and that kind of ties into also what you just said earlier about how students today can, in classroom, they've got their laptops, they can Google things, they can see, they can... I, in my in our era, the expert in the room was the professor. There was no other. That's all you could rely on. Now, 
as a professor uh, in the at the front of the classroom, I I have to rely or I have to worry about seventy two other experts because they all have a, a computer with access to all kinds of things. The other thing that I notice, obviously, between when I was a student and then a, as a young professor, and now is is the laptops. Just the fact that almost every student has a laptop. But I want to give you a little anecdote because one of the things that struck strikes me as as being different is the ability to take notes. So in our era, you you couldn't you couldn't verbatim note. Well, you couldn't just <laughs> type as quickly as a professor. So you learn to take notes. You learn to synthesize quickly as to what's going on. And I I remember a student of mine about five years ago, in her first two years, had a laptop. And then she said, you know, for her last year, she was going to try taking all her courses without a laptop and just writing notes. And she learned the technique of note taking. And she said she did better in all of those courses in third year than she ever did in the first or second Which year. Which makes sense. The idea of note taking is not just transcription. It's listening and, and synthesizing. Yeah. Um, and it's a lost art, though, don't you think? Right. Well, it's you know, it's an art you need. You sure need it in a courtroom. You need it in all sorts of places. You need it in meetings. By the way, um, another thing that's different, and it's hugely different, is the uh, job experience related to law school. When I went to law school, obviously we wanted to get an articling job when we were done. You, you interviewed over the summer between uh, second year and third year law school. Um, but it wasn't a big deal. Some of the firms, like, wasn't as uh, as as um, uh, overloaded as it is now. Um, some firms don't. We didn't interview till July. Some not till August. Some not till the fall. And rather than this mm-hmm. sort of crunch that goes on now, um, for the summers between first and second year law school and second and third year law school, some people did law jobs. I worked at a summer camp one summer. Nice. Um, and uh, but you know the idea that you would want to try to get a job at a firm or a law office in second year because that positions you to apply to oh, them yeah, for an article job that was, that was not no. on the radar. No, um, it just wasn't as intense as it is now. Yeah, we we've had a couple of podcasts about the OCI process, oh, which yeah. nobody seems to be in favor of, but it is a it's a <laughs> but necessary we evil. Right. Um, one of the things I have David do. Uh, I've had David do regularly in my class is come and give a talk in my constitutional law class about one thing he did, which was in 1980 when Pierre Trudeau was holding what were called the the special joint committee on uh, on the Const- charter on the Constitution of Canada, yeah, basically a public hearing as to what our Charter of Rights should include, and David's gives a great tale of how he went to Ottawa representing the Canadian National Institute for the Blind to try and get disability put on the, or or added to the grounds of discrimination or equality under Section 15. So David talks about that. You were in, were you articling or were you in third year law school at that point? I I was... In the bar admission course back then, you you finished law school, then you articled for a year, then you did a six-month unending bar admission course. And I was just between a couple of exams. So basically, let's assume, well, David was still a student of law. I was was still considered a law student. Yeah. Um, And so he talks about that and how, what an experience that was. And and it, it, I mean, it is a phenomenal experience. But then, so what happens after that class sometimes is students come up to me and and they say, well, you know, that, that is great. We all, all power to David for doing that. No student's going to get an opportunity like that 
anymore to do those kinds of things. That's a product of the past. And you're living in a, a different world today. And I, David, we had this conversation just before the podcast. And what's your answer to that? Uh, no, no, it's not a thing of the past. If anything, it's it's more prevalent now because uh, people are more active, involved in appearing before parliamentary committee hearings, uh, municipal government uh, council meetings. Uh, and there's millions of opportunities for law students to do it. In fact, this fall, uh, as uh, the time we're recording this, there's a bill right before the Parliament of Canada, which I and others have been lobbying for, a national accessibility law bill, C81, the Accessible Canada Act. And I had a number of my OPER students helping me in my preparation of a very detailed brief that we submitted to the federal government on the amendments we needed. And then the the the, the, the legislation reached the point where it was placed before a standing committee of parliament of the House of Commons holding hearings. I applied to appear and got a a slot. Um, and what I did was I contacted the House of Commons. I said, like, how many people can I bring? And they said, yeah, two total. And they pay your airfare and hotel. And I then did my lawyer thing and wrote a pleading letter saying, I'm working with law students. Can I bring three <laughs> can I, of us, me and two law students? It's yep. great for their education. They And so on. So I then picked, and they said, yes. So I, <laughs> I took two of my uh, OPER students and they flew up to Ottawa with me the night before. We uh, got hotel rooms. And then the next morning at 8 o'clock, we were before a standing committee of the House of Commons. And their research helped me prepare for my presentation. And then afterwards, we did a debrief on it. But I also got us a meeting with an opposition member of parliament that we met after uh, after the, the presentation. And then we got a meeting with the cabinet minister, uh, Carla Qualtrough, who's the minister who brought in the bill. Right. And so they get to come with me. And I did my advocacy thing on behalf of the coalition that I lead, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act Alliance. And my students came with me. And then I, of course, put on my teaching hat. We went out for lunch. And, we, uh, and I talked to them about the strategy underlying my presentation to the parliamentary committee, but also uh, my efforts with these two members of parliament at these two different meetings. And finally, at the end... Um, before we flew home, we one of, one of the students had booked us uh, a guided tour at the Supreme Court of Canada, which was not that in session. I've argued, I've been up there on about 30 cases in my career, but I'd never done the tour. Yeah, And the yeah, students had, so we were walking around, <laughs> yeah. we got a tour of the building, and I'm showing them where I stood when I argued cases and stuff like that. And it was uh, it was a really, for them, for the law students, I think it was a um, an enjoyable opportunity that we just don't get in the classroom. Yeah, well, and I, similarly, I have, uh, research assistants who I recently uh, put on a, well, actually they rented a car and they went to Ottawa. They went to the Supreme Court of Canada to, to listen to a case, something, and they did it without me. I was supposed to chaperone them, but I couldn't, I had to teach. So that it's, it things like that. There's opportunities like that all yeah. over the place. Now, Adam and I, we need to take this podcast on the road. That could be part of uh, your little <laughs> <laughs> Doing things that, you know, again, yeah. the, the opportunities were so limited in the 70s and 80s. I, say, I think David probably was one of the few students who got yeah. to do anything like that. Yeah, could, could you convince a professor to hang out with you once a week for an hour? Well, <laughs> I got to know a number of my profs, It was uh, which was quite fortunate. And some of them I stayed friends with for many years. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and uh, and some I'm still friends with to this day. I see them every, not, not enough, but... Uh, 
Um, I love catching up with them and hearing stories of what a pain I was as a student. (laughs) But it's... uh, So that's okay. Any student who now thinks they're a pain can look forward to later on in life being thought of as not a pain. (laughs) Wow, that's that's such a high note. (laughs) David and I have another class to go to. uh, I've got David as a guest in my next class this evening. Yeah, you've guessed in my class. Four times, something like that. Times. It's always been good, though. I, and, I, and I always enjoy that. And you're and you're you're still here, able to talk about it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> complete disaster. <laughs> no. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, it. David, uh, Adam. The re- your readings for next week. Yeah, Let I got them. Get- oh, you got them. Okay, good. I wrote I them down over go. here, and they'll be you done. Are good. At least you're, that part of it is good. And thanks for including me. And anybody who wants to learn more about this disability advocacy stuff, I um, I encourage you to follow me on Twitter. I'll give you the Twitter handle. Grab something to write with, a pen or a or a computer. It's at David Lepofsky, one word, no dot, D-A-V-I-D-L-E-P-O-F-S-K-Y. And you can get all the news about accessibility issues and advocacy here in Ontario and elsewhere around the world. All right. We'll post that in the description as well. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, David. Thank you, Adam. Till next time.